It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. That pretty starts with an earthquake, birds, snakes, and aeroplanes. Many fruits are not afraid. I have a freaking listen to yourself in the world, but it don't need something to your own head. Beat it up and I've got no peace. The ladder puts a platter with a fear fight down. Next fire in the fire, but it's just a gang. The government for hire in the combat site. But it wasn't coming in a hurry, but you're getting it down your neck. The border trap is some the ground with that low plane flying and up for overflow, but you're in corner to put in a little secret devil, secret devil world in your own knees. See your heart, tell me that the river in the river was the right. You patriotic, patriotic, plan might right, might feel it in British life. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. Welcome to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Your source for information on how to succeed if everything else fails. And now, your hosts, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. dark heart of the city, a mysterious figure known as Dr. Bones. That guy, every show, he seems to show up in the dark heart of the city. <laughs> what are we going to do with this guy? Well, if he was more of a bloom person, he would show up in the happy part of the city, like a park or a flower garden. Oh, that is that would be so sweet. This is the Hour of Doom. And Bloom. With Dr. Doom and Nurse Bloom, right? Oh, no, with Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy, John Joe Alton, MD, also known as Dr. Bones of doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a 1,000 posts, videos, podcasts, all sorts of stuff on medical preparedness. For any disaster, we are a fortress of freedom in a fatuous world. Yes, we are. And you are? I am Amy Alton. A little groggy. <laughs> a little groggy. <laughs> <coughs> Amy Alton. Uh-huh. I am a certified nurse midwife and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. And you've had a little dental work done, I see. Mm. And had a little Not much. sedation, I'm perhaps? Never, never had a cavity yet, but... <laughs> <laughs> All I right. guess they're trying to work on that. <laughs> well, you will be. you will be more awake... As the show goes on, I pro- I promise. It's that deep cleaning. They want to give you all kinds of drugs. For. Oh my gosh! Well, that's the kind of cleaning that uh, I want if they're going to give you drugs. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Of course, <coughs> together we are the gang of two. We are the medical matrimony and the prodigious pair, and we are here to help you keep it together, even if everything else falls apart. Friends and neighbors, have you been injured in an accident? With a rambunctious Rottweiler. Well, if you have, I'm very sorry to hear it. (laughs) I know. It sounds terrible. Our attorney says, don't call me. Call Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. And listen to this. All information given and opinions voiced on Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's Survival Medicine Hour are for entertainment purposes only and do not represent medical advice for anything other than post-apocalyptic settings. No contract or provider-patient <laughs> relationship exists or is applied between the hosts and listeners. Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy strongly urge their audience to seek modern and standard 
<laughs> Medical care. Well, I'll tell you one thing. At least you're not like those YouTube videos oh, of people that oh, have oh, had... Oh. Uh, <laughs> Twilight. Whatever and wherever. <laughs> we... It is... It is available. That's right. Wow. <laughs> I was about to say, you know, there are Listen, uh, videos you, on YouTube of people that if, have had stuff like what you have, and they, they sound me, a lot worse. You're going to have me sedated. You can't expect to be, <laughs> for me to be perky here. Okay, you don't have to be perky. Uh, my eyes are open. How's uh, that? <laughs> you can actually, you can take a nap. I'm here. I, I'm I won't be able to entertain I, our audience like you do, but I'll do the best I can. I think during the procedure... I drifted off, and you know when you drift off, but you're not quite asleep, so you try to wake yourself up, and I went like this. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. I don't need it to do a procedure to do that. I do that, I think, every night. That was horrifying. I, I may never see that dentist again. <laughs> well, all I have to say is that I'm you are actually doing much better than I thought you would be. I, yeah, I want to say I open my mouth a little bit. I got to say that standard and modern medical care that is the way to go in normal times. But will you out there know what to do if somebody gets sick or injured off the grid? Well, you can help save lives in a disaster. You can show that someone out there knows what to do for injuries and illness in times of trouble, and you can be that person. And while you're proving that you can be that person. Consider getting some supplies and a quality medical kit to go along with all that knowledge you're accumulating. And what better place to get it than the lovely Nurse Amy's entire line of often imitated but never equaled medical kits at store.doomandbloom.net. I mean it. They will help you handle medical issues that you'll face in any disaster. And they're designed by a medical doctor and an advanced registered nurse practitioner. Compare our kits for contents, quality, cost with anybody else's stuff. I dare you. Or just ask anyone who's ever bought one, and you'll agree our kits are the ones you should have in your medical storage. For a limited time only, because yeah. when Joe and I are gone, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't that's plan the, to be gone anytime That's the end of the store. Soon. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say how short of a limited time. I well, just said, why can't we buy? I just said limited time. We could sell These to. These are limited time offers. Well, by, we can always sell to Facebook or or Apple, I'm sure that what they'll no. they'll be in every industry by then. We'll, we'll probably s sell out to those guys. What do you think of that? They got to make it worth it, though. <laughs> I like what I do. I'm just saying that Apple and and Facebook and all these I people need are enough, in you know so what? many things. All they got I their need is enough in. money to pay the bills. When I'm having trouble paying the bills, which you know happens every once in a while, it gets a little stressful. I but understand. as long as I can pay the bills, then we're okay. There you go. Yep. Well, there's a warehouse rent and employee mm -hmm. expenses and all that. So oh I gosh. totally understand. You know, somebody's taxes got to put to yes, taxes accounting. and taxes. So all inventory, sorts. inventory, inventory. Wow. And folks, I just want you to know, I haven't put up a lot of those prices on those kits in a long time. Every single year, sometimes twice a year, they put the prices up on me. They're killing yeah. me. They're killing yeah. me. They're raising. Yeah, they do raise prices. I mean, things do are not getting cheaper. Oh They're only gosh. getting more expensive. I just wish they were all made in America. That would be really awesome. That would be awesome. Every single item. Hey, we learn as much from you as you do from us. That is so obvious. <clears throat> so what the hell, Nell? Send out a smoke signal to old Dr. Bones and the lovely Nurse Amy. It's easy. And here's Nurse Amy to tell you how she can get through it. Oh, you want me to talk again? Yeah, I'm not sure. <coughs> <laughs> Email us. 
at D R Bones Podcast. Podcast at AOL.com. <laughs> Find us on Facebook at our group, Survival Medicine, Medicine. Dr. Bones, Nurse Amy. I'll take over. I'll take over. I can talk. Can you? All right. You can also follow our Facebook at Doom and um, Bloom. See, if you talk slow enough, people can actually understand you. And <laughs> Twitter at Prepper Show. See, I've said that faster. Maybe. And our YouTube channel. Don't forget that. DR Bones, Nurse Amy. That's right. And don't forget our other podcast, all about current events. American Survival Radio now broadcasts from all sorts of land-based radio stations throughout the U.S. of A. As well as our good friends at the Prepper Broadcasting Network. Awesome. And other great internet networks like Talk 365, KIMB, all sorts of places. And this show, the Survival Medicine Hour, is indeed Broadcast by KYH Radio in the great state of Utah, in the Beehive State. So we hope you'll listen in as we educate and entertain you as we edutain you. Hey, you know, Hawaii's Kilauea volcano spewed ash nearly six miles into the sky and shot anvils, rocks the size of anvils, no less. They call them ballistic blocks. They were expecting that, I have to say. They call those ballistic blocks. Did you know that? That I did not. very scary. Well, I'll tell you this much that... Crush your car. Just yesterday, scientists warned that this could be the first in a string of more violent explosive eruptions with the next possibly occurring within just hours from from where we are recording them now. As a matter of fact, by the time you hear this, it may have actually occurred. A U.S. uh, Geological Survey geologist warned that we may have additional, even larger, more powerful events on the Big Island. Residents over there were warned to take shelter from the ash as toxic gas levels spiked in a small southeast area where lava has burst from the ground during the two-week eruption. And, of course, wind carries ash, right? The wind can carry Kilauea's ash plume as far as the largest city on the Big Island, Hilo, Hawaii, and it's a major tourism center. As a matter of fact, we're thinking about going there in the next year or maybe teach some classes. The, the, the County of Hawaii Civil Defense advised people to protect themselves from ash fallout. So this is one of the few times that you'll see an actual civil defense warning about it. It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. I'm glad they actually have these things in place. I'm surprised it didn't wait to explode until we got there. Yeah, I know. We're, we're that lucky. We've is that been, what you're saying? We've yes, we've witnessed some some crazy stuff, honey. We truly have. Now, the Big Island also has been rocked by the things that go along with it. There's some mud. There's some mudslides. There's earthquakes that damage buildings, crack roads. That, that you you find all sorts of different type uh, types of damage there that occurred by different events, but they're all related to the instability of the volcano. The activity is such also that they are totally unpredictable, just like an earthquake is unpredictable, perhaps, although I know they try to predict these things. It's, it's pretty, pretty hard. Now, Kilauea, Mount Kilauea, had a massive eruption in 1790. It killed dozens of people in the deadliest eruption to ever occur in what is now the United States. They have a lava lake in Mount Kilauea, and that seems to be falling or draining out and is likely descended to a level at or below the water table. And what that has done is allowed water to run on top of the lava column and 
create all these steam-driven blasts. Wow. Now, there has been a deadly event on Mount Kilauea more recently than 1790. As a matter of fact, still not terribly recently, but in about 100 years ago, 1924, the activity at Mount Kilauea lasted two or three weeks and killed a person that was hit by one of those ballistic blocks, oh. anvil-sized ballistic blocks that I mentioned. And so, boy, talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, huh? Well, that would be a surprise. You, I guess it, so. You may not see it. Right. That's well, the thing. You're just going about your business and then splat. Oh, I'm sure you you didn't. I'm sure this person it's didn't terrible. see what was coming. Well, so far the streets of Hawaii are beginning to crack open with these fissures. There are more than twenty of them so far, and there's ex- exposing molten rock and lava underneath. And the temperature of these things are 750 to 1250 degrees Fahrenheit. The last one opened in a place called Leilani Estates. Doesn't that sound like it would make an awesome retirement community or, or a retreat? In, is that in Hawaii? Yeah. You're talking about? Leilani? Oh, well, it sounds awesome. Let's Leilani. Buy it. Maybe Leilani. Can we live there? Oh, well, it probably was a co- nice place to live. Or is that covered in lava? It was a nice place to live, at least until now. Aww. Meanwhile, there's a spike in toxic sulfur dioxide gas levels, and it's closing schools. Uh, in various towns in the area, including the town of Pahoa, which is about 25 miles east of the volcano, where 37 homes and other structures were destroyed by lava and thousands of residents forced to evacuate. There are wind changes causing gas to spew from fissures, and the National Guardsmen that are guarding these things actually have to wear gas masks or they wind up getting overwhelmed by the fumes. And so there is actually a sulfur dioxide level color code and uh, Pahoa reached a three level a, a red level rather of sulfur dioxide meaning the gas could choke you to death causing an inability to breathe it is scary so if it's red get out of dodge guys over there that is I think of paramount importance now you do get ash masks for person one for one for person in communities that are close to Kilauea and this protects from the ash. The ash, remember, is just essentially powdered rock. It's not poisonous, but it can certainly cause a lot of irritation to your airways, and certainly to your eyes as well. It also affects the aviation, uh, the, the air, airline travel there and back. Uh, if there are these uh, silica right. ash uh, particles that are floating around in the atmosphere, they like- can clog up airplane engines. They're like tiny pieces of glass. That's exactly right. That's why we couldn't fly out of Munich. That's right. We got stuck there from the Iceland volcano. Right. That happened in 2010. And we were in Germany for uh, a vacation, actually. And we were about to head home, and we ended up. We showed up at the airport, which looked abandoned. And we thought, what the heck is going on? Sure enough. Oh, there's an Iceland volcano. It's Every all everything shut down. You better get on a train. Every flight was closed. Well, that was some crazy stuff. It took us how long Co- to get out? It took us another two week weeks? to maybe two weeks. Ten, it was to get ten out. days to two weeks a lot to of people, actually get out. A lot of people were stranded there. I mean, look at college students that may have gone with just a certain amount of money. Oh my gosh. Couldn't fly home, and what happened to them? My gosh, you know they wound up having to sleep in train stations and. And things like that. And it was some crazy, was, crazy, crazy was, stuff. But we ended up getting out through Munich, which no, through I'm Madrid, not, not Munich, Madrid, Madrid. We were in Munich when the 
we found out about the train. We got ended up working our way through Paris. Yes, we traveled to Madrid from Munich to Paris and then to Madrid. Well, we sat in Paris, hoping that all this would just pass through. <laughs> yeah, then, we hoped. And, and the news kept just getting worse and worse and worse. We're like, okay, we have to leave. Crazy, baby. It was crazy. That was crazy indeed. But we had fun. We went to museums. We, we did things we didn't think we were going to do. So, you know what? Make the best of it. That's right. All right. So, may, speaking of which, okay, so there's a volcano. Why should you care? You live in Nebraska? Well, why care? Well, I'll tell you why. We write about disasters and how to prepare for them, right? And there are certain disasters, natural or man-made, where a great deal of preparation really does increase your chances of survival. We talk about that all the time on this show and, of course, on our website. But... Then there are other kinds of events like volcanic eruptions or gosh asteroid strikes where your options are, to say the least, pretty limited. You might not consider a volcano as the most likely event to ruin your day. And unless you live near one, you'd probably be right. But it still makes sense to know about them and what you might be able to do to prevent becoming a victim of one. Now, what is we talk? We're talking about volcanoes, but what have, what is a volcano? A volcano is a rupture in the crust of the earth that allows lava, ash, gases to escape from deep below the surface. And oftentimes that happens explosively. That's why they call it an eruption. And the violence of these eruptions, wow, they can be so great that we talked about anvil-sized rocks, ballistic blocks falling from the sky in Hawaii. Well, they could be the size of boulders that come, come raining down from the sky to flatten houses and maybe flatten you, as a matter of fact. Now, most people have the impression that an active volcano is a mountain that has smoke and fire spewing from the top, and sure enough, the recent eruption of Mount Kilauea looks just like that. However, volcanoes can be active without displaying any physical signs for thousands of years. As a matter of fact, there are 150 active volcanoes in U.S. territory, but the key word here is active. A volcano is considered active if it's erupted in the last 10,000 years. So that in geologic time is just a moment, but in human time, well, not so much. Now, volcanoes also take a number of forms. So if you think you're safe in Nebraska, think again, because in Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming, just a state or two away, a huge dormant supervolcano exists that looks more like flat land than a cone. And indeed, it takes some observation to even know that you're walking on top of it. And one of the signs of it is the presence of geysers. Geysers are this explosive uh, expression of water, a sort of a plume of water that comes up, hot water, superheated water as a matter of fact, that exists as evidence that there's still a great deal of pressure and superheated rock lava maybe under the surface. Now one doomsday scenario includes the eruption of this big giant land feature. By the way, they call that a caldera, which basically is Spanish for cauldron or cooking pot. And sure enough, right now it's cooking. The last time it, they served <laughs> a meal from it uh, or that it, it erupted or exploded was about 640,000 years ago. But it's thought to be an event that's likely to occur again soon. Again, we're talking about geologic time. Soon means in the next 40,000 years or so. So you may wind up not having to worry about it, let's hope. 
Now, if you live near a volcanically active area like Hawaii, there are a few things you can do that might decrease the chance of your becoming a victim of some of the issues related to volcanic activity. Well, of course, you should always start by monitoring that activity via reports from NOAA radios and evacuate the area if authorities really believe that an eruption is imminent. If there's a warning, get out of Dodge. Have a plan, of course, to get the family together because who knows when it would happen. It doesn't, oh, unless it happens in the middle of the night, it's unlikely the family is all together in the same building. So be ready to text or email or social media or figure out some way that the family knows where to meet in case of an issue. And of course, you want to get out of there if you can. So no more than one route out of the area. Several routes would be a good idea. Roads can be blocked by fire, by thick ash, by falling rock, by lava flows. I mean, this ash actually looks like, I mean, to me, I, I refer to it as undead snow because it, oh, it yeah. accumulates like in, in drifts. Right. It, it accumulates on a roof just like, a, just like snow would, right. but it has this sort of gray look instead mm-hmm. of white, instead of the beautiful white of the snow. So these are things that are important. If you have thick ash, well, visibility and breathing becomes difficult, so you might need some respirator masks. Remember, we've talked in the past about the types of respirators. The N95 respirator mask is inexpensive, generally speaking, Mm. but still effective enough so that you can breathe in a situation even where heavy ash is falling. Now, of course, to be able to see, you might need to have some goggles, so every member of your group should have at least a pair of goggles so that they can get around without getting blinded or, or having their eyes get really irritated. Now, ash can also damage engine parts and stall escape vehicles. So if there's an issue with this and you have a car that has to be outside, well, you might put a tarp over it until you actually need to hit the road. Now, if you, your engine winds up getting clogged by heavy ash while you're on the road, be make sure you have some sturdy boots because you may have to go on foot. And I think that any equipment that has moving parts that has to remain outside, by the way, is something that has to be covered with tarps. I I can't tell you how important that is. So it's pretty clear that the most intelligent decision when you have a wall of lava that's going to hit your house is probably to hit the road. And so hit the road, Jack, and put distance between you and the volcano. Amen. Be sure sure to take a good amount of supplies for you, more than 72 hours worth, because there are going to be a lot of people that are going to be doing the same thing that you can and even emergency Shelters from by municipalities are probably going to be taxed in terms of their supplies. There are circumstances, by the way, where you might be unable to leave your home. And if that's the case, well, you know, you won't be able to expect the even the most solid house to really protect you much from lava, but you could still protect yourself from things like volcanic ash. Close your windows and doors, block your chimneys, stay under the sturdiest part of the roof because ash can be very heavy, especially when it's combined with rain, almost like concrete. And of course, have food and water stored in quantity. And of course, of course, number two, have a good kit to deal with medical issues. You'll need materials like those that can treat burns, orthopedic injuries, masks, goggles, flashlights for every member of the family, thick, sturdy shoes, maybe hand protection, you might not consider these 
Some of these items would be medical in nature, but I'll tell you, they'll help you breathe, see, and function, even if the ash is falling thickly, thickly, and that will help increase your chances of survival. So these are things that are very important to think about. Now, if you don't have a mask, so you don't have a shelter, you're outside and you don't have a mask, get some, take your shirt off or something, place, wet it, put a damp cloth over your nose and mouth, cover your skin as much as you can. Unfortunately, it's going to be hard to do that if you need to take your shirt off to actually cover your nose and mouth. But protection, 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 these are important. You might want to have head coverings in, play, in places where they're... Uh, where they're spitting out lava and rocks, you know, that come from the sky. Maybe even a hard ad might not be a bad idea, and they might decrease your chance of injury as you escape the area. Remember, low-lying areas that might be a conduit for lava are to be avoided because they can be uh, there can be a river of lava going right across this low-lying road that you had planned as your escape route. And stay clear of areas that are downwind. Remember, the ash and the flying debris is going to be thickest in those areas. Now, don't forget your pets, because the truth of the matter is, is that some municipal shelters, although some states require that they accept pets, they don't have the supplies for them. And so you want to bring food, you bring their favorite toys, whatever it is that you need to do, you need leashes and things like that. You need to have these things so that you can protect your pets, because if there are going to be a bunch of pets, you know, of course, dogs get together, they can fight and this is something that uh, is a big issue. But don't forget your pets. You can find the Red Cross's recommendations for emergency pet kits uh, on our article on volcano preparedness uh, in our link. Uh, we have put a link there for the Red Cross's recommendation for emergency pet kits. So here's another thing that's important. After the, vol uh, after the eruption, when you return, you see there's a lot of ash on your roof. For goodness sake, clear it off because the weight could easily cave it in and put you at, at risk. You might not always have a lot of options in a disaster, but you can always improve your chances of surviving, even in the worst situations, except maybe an asteroid strike. I'm just not sure. What do you think about an asteroid strike? That sounds pretty darn scary. Probably wouldn't be able to do too much about that. But the bottom line is, is that you always got to think about these things and think about what you possibly could do. Right? Absolutely. Have a plan. Plan A, plan B, plan C. That's right. Hey, I wanted to talk a little bit about yes. things that are popping up. And now that we're things are warming up, we're going to have a lot of people out. I mean, the school's going to be out soon. And so a lot of people are going to be taking that trip to the national park and maybe do a little hiking, do a little camping. Sounds awesome. And, you know, if you're in the backcountry, you're going to probably find a lot of critters. Uh, but you have to worry about more than bears. You do have to worry about bears, but you have to worry about more than bears and maybe the occasional irritable moose <laughs> if you're going to stay healthy. And most of the inhabit inhabitants that can get you sick in the forest are very, very small. They're like the humble tick. They can be tiny, but they can get you mighty sick. Ha -ha. Yeah, that's well, true. Ticks are commonly thought of as insects, but they're actually eight-legged. It's much more closely related to scorpions and spiders or arachnids and one species or another is found just about everywhere in the United States and southern Canada and a number of species seem to be extending their range over time. Now 
Ticks are not as clearly associated with poor hygiene as lice, but there is a connection in my opinion. And ticks are most often detected for the first time while bathing. So when you're taking a shower after a day out in the country, well, indeed, you may find that a tick is latched onto you. And if that's if you're in a situation off the grid in a survival setting where bathing is a luxury that is rare, well, failure to bathe, as might be the case in survival settings, may allow ticks to remain on the body long enough to pass diseases to you. And some of these diseases are most treatable in the early stages, and so you should know how to quickly identify and treat conditions like this. And most importantly, know how to identify a tick and identify a tick bite. That thing is something that that is so important to be able to figure out whether you've been bitten to see if you are a possible candidate for some of the diseases like Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, like Lyme disease, because these things have to be transmitted by ticks. Ticks bite humans and animals. They get blood from them, like a mosquito would get blood. But And the bite itself, though, is not a major medical issue, but ticks are the vectors. They are the thing that allows the transmission of many organisms into a host, and the host could be you. These microbes cause illness and can include things like viruses, parasites, bacteria, all sorts of stuff. Uh, the American dog tick carries a microbe, for example, for Rocky Mountain spotted fever. The deer tick carries a parasite for Lyme disease. I think the deer tick is also called the black-legged tick by some. Uh, there are all sorts of illnesses that are carried by ticks, and they almost all, interestingly enough, start off looking a lot like the flu. So what happens is, is people feel sort of sick after a flea bite, have a disease that was passed on by a, a flea, I mean, a, I'm sorry, a tick, and they're often misdiagnosed as having the flu, and that's even by trained medical professionals. Ticks uh, don't jump like fleas do. They don't fly like flies. And they like to hang around in wood piles and leaf piles, tall grass, shrubs. So, if you know, things that are along the trail. And what they do is they hang out, let's say, at the end of a leaf on a shrub. And they sort of stick their little pincers out or their, or their uh, legs out to try to Latch on to latch on to you as you go by. That's how why the deer tick is called a deer tick, because they like to hang out in game trails and they latch on to deers as they as they pass by. Now, those are the uh, those are the adults. The larvae like to live on the on the uh, forest floor and latch on to your ankle or your low leg, lower leg as you as you pass by. The larvae, by the way seem to be more of a problem when it comes to transmitting diseases like Lyme disease. But the thing problem is, is these are much bigger than a pinhead, so they are sort of difficult to spot. I mean, and there are a number of larval stages, each, each of which requires one feeding to progress to the next stage. And this ordinarily happens over the course of several days. Tick bites will first look like a small red bump, like just about any other kind of bug bite. By itself, the bite, though, doesn't represent a disease, but about 20% of tick bites will contain the Lyme disease microbe, that germ. So acute Lyme disease is, looks, as I mentioned before, like the flu that doesn't always 
have a rash associated with it, but when it does, oftentimes it has a certain look to it. It looks like a bullseye. There's a the original rash, and then there's a wave of red that goes out circumferentially from it so that it looks like the beginnings of a bullseye. And uh, that actually has a scientific name that's called erythema migrans because the the over time that bullseye look becomes bigger and bigger and bigger as the redness tr actually moves. So it migrates, so to speak. Now that your victim might experience itchiness or pain, of course, with the bite, but uh, the most common things that you'll see with people that wind up getting very sick are fever, chills, head and body aches, fatigue, nausea and vomiting. Again, a lot like the flu, right? We're gonna talk about Lyme disease in a future show, so that's something that I think is important for everybody to know about, and we'll, we'll talk about that a little more as we get into the summer, which is when most of these uh, Lyme cases are actually transmitted. Now, of course, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and if you're gonna spend the day in the backcountry, you should be taking some precautions. Don't leave skin exposed below the knee. Wear thick socks and tuck your pants into them. Wear top high top boots. Make sure you, when you're walking on trails, walk in the center of the trail. Don't rub against the brush and underbrush that is right there. And use insect repellents like DEET on skin, uh, maybe even on uh, clothing. Uh, permethrin 0.5% insecticide that can be placed on clothing and although permethrin deactivates quickly on skin it can last for several weeks on clothing if enough is used to moisten the fabric so what you're going to do is you're going to be spraying this uh, permethrin on whatever clothes that you're going to be using uh, as you're camping and you you Go ahead and, and moisten the fabric, allow it to dry. Permethrin is pretty amazing because it can even withstand laundering if it's applied correctly. And there are, uh, there's DEET, of course, for the skin, but a natural alternative to DEET for the skin is citronella. And everybody probably has had a citronella candle, something that can be, the plant actually can be cultivated in some areas. All you have to do with citronella is you have a plant Take the leaves, rub, take the leaves off, rub the leaves on the skin, repeat during the day, and sure enough, you have protection uh, against insects. And of course, another natural product thought to be effective, at least by the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, and safe, is, is lemon eucalyptus oil. Now, it's important to know that ticks don't always latch onto your skin immediately. They may take a few hours, so showering and bathing after a wilderness outing might be enough to wash them off. Examine children and pets, especially children and pets, after a day outdoors and especially near skin folds. If you have a, if you live out in the country and you have a dog who spends a lot of time outside, you can bet that they probably have some ticks on them. So make sure you give them a good look, you know, good once over when they come into the house. Now, of course, it's important to know that your risk of tick-borne diseases increases the longer it feeds on you. Therefore, it makes sense to remove the tick as soon as you possibly can. Using a fine set of scissors, no, tweezers, I think. <laughs> did I say scissors? Using a fine set of tweezers, you want to grab the tick as close to the skin as possible. That means you're grabbing it by the 
headpiece or the mouth, essentially, mouth parts. You're pulling, I want you to pull the tick straight up and you, that might help you remove it intact. If you remove it at an angle or you twist it, the mouth parts may remain in the skin and this causes an inflammation at the site. Uh, it's still better than leaving the entire tick there, but it's something you'd rather not do. There are a lot of different products, you know, that have all sorts of gimmicky names that are available to remove ticks. Uh, if some MacGyvers suggests using unwaxed dental floss to loop under the tick, then tighten it and lift it off the body. And the bottom line is with all of these things, you want to wash the area afterwards with soap and water and consider applying some antibiotic ointment. Now, we're sure you've heard about other methods of tick removal, such as smothering it with petroleum jelly or lighting it on fire, but no method is more effective than simply pulling it out. Hey, we had a lot of fun at the Self-Reliance Expo in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas, or actually in Mesquite, Texas, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And we got to talk to a couple of good friends. Uh, Angry American, Chris, is a good friend of ours, and he has an entire series of books called the Home Series or Going Home Series. And, of course, our good friend Charlie Hogwood, who is the author of Prepper Survival Retreats, a great guide if you're interested in putting together your own, and of course, survival group handbook uh, that is the Bible for putting together a harmonious group to live in that survival retreat. We also had the opportunity to make a new friend in Joe Faulkner of Survival Dispatch, and we will hear from him as well. So let's go right to our interviews. Well, one of the great pleasures that I have is to talk and have relationships with super people, people that are into preparedness, people and really know what they're doing. And one of those people is Charlie Hogwood. Charlie Hogwood is the guru for survival groups, his survival retreats. He knows what's going on. And you've just put out that, first off, Charlie, welcome to thank the show. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate okay, it. Thank Glad you. to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I, you have a new book out. I'd like to know all about it. Well, the new book is Prepper Survival Retreats, Your Strategic Relocation Plan for the Uncertain Future. And essentially what it is, is it's a, it's a short and sweet book on how to find the retreat property, where uh -huh. to go uh, and plan ahead in case uh, things go uh, south, uh -huh. and uh, how to not make yourself crazy doing it. Uh, do you have to be in Idaho for this? Or? You do not. You okay. do not. And that's the jewel of this book, is it helps you understand what it is that you and your family need uh -huh. to make this process work breaks it all down in nice easy steps sounds good well nice and easy steps and i see that it's a, it's a nice concise book mm -hmm. so it's something that you can probably put together in, a, in one reading and you know absorb tell me a little bit about a couple a couple of tidbits that we might learn from reading your book well the the goal of survival relocation is it's not just for survival it's just for long term if you want to be somewhere else oh. somewhere else to go to vacation to do whatever you wanted to be comfortable but in, in, when it comes to the tidbits of this, you've got to decide what are the hazards in the area where you're going. And this helps you identify your hazard analysis. It also helps you identify, is that land good for growing? Is it, uh -huh. you know, as far as food and whatnot? Does it have water on it? How to look at the trees and tell what kind of soil you have based on the leaves, which is really important when it comes that to is. growing something. Uh, it also talks about the, the purchasing process, the home inspection process. If you were to get a... Uh, a property that already has a house on it mm -hmm. tells you how to select that piece of land 
uh, where it is in relation to the town, to any um, technological disasters that might happen, things of that nature. It breaks it down real easy. It's not a really, it's not into a lot of laws and taxes and things like some of the other books are. This is a how-to, get in dirty, get it done quick type of manual. Well, sounds important. And you want you want to know something? We in Tennessee, when we were in Gatlinburg, of course. Our issues are mudslides, for example, mm -hmm. uh, wildfires. wildfires. Yeah, which we almost <laughs> got our house burnt to the foundation a couple of years ago with one. Yep. So I absolutely think that this kind of book is is essential. Make sure that it makes sure that you know what's going on going in, mm -hmm. and uh, some very very simple steps on how to make your home more livable and uh, and thrivable, honestly. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, for the first time home buyer, property buyer, it really gets into, like I said, the inspection side of things, why that's so important. It gets into some mortgage options, oh. gets some of the VA mortgage options, uh -huh. and it kind of just breaks it down in brief form to help you become informed and how important it is working with different realtors and, and getting your legal documents in order. Oh. Uh, all of it in a very readable format. All right. Sounds great. Where can we get Prepper Survival Retreats by Charlie Hogwood? You can find it on Amazon. Uh, mm -hmm. Go to Amazon.com, just look up Prepper Survival Retreats, or just type in Charlie Hogwood Author, and it'll take you to my page with the Survival Group Handbook as well. Awesome. A book everybody out there needs to have, so be sure to get our good friend Charlie Hogwood's Prepper Survival Retreats, your strategic location plan for an uncertain future. And that future is certainly uncertain. Yes, Charlie, thank you so much. Thanks so All much, right. Joe. Appreciate it. So I'll put this up next week. Okay, we are here with one of many angry Americans, but we are here with the most famous angry American <laughs> that you can imagine. That is a angry American, and welcome to the show. How's it going, Doc? It's good to see you, man. It's been a while since it we've has, talked. It has, and we are so glad to have you yeah. on the show. You're always, you've always got something going on, and... You're always writing like a maniac. Tell me, tell me a little bit about what you've got going on. You know, i got bills to pay like everybody else, so i got to work, <laughs> man. So, yeah, I'm working uh -huh. on book 10 right now. I'm working on a spinoff of the series, and I'm working on some backstory for some of the characters in the book as well. Uh -huh. And me and Alan Kay have just launched a survival manual project that we're doing together. Very cool. Wow. Yeah, so that'll be a pretty unique little project if well. we can get it done. That'll well, sounds good. Well, you, it's a, it's a matter of time. You got the brain power. That yeah, is, that's for damn sure. Well, it's having the time, you know. Uh -huh. and it's, it's like, uh, you know the you know the deal. There's not enough hours in the day, man. Oh, I, I, <laughs> I can tell you that the 26 hour day would be an awesome idea. Yeah. If we just get Congress to approve it. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Because that's my problem. I, you know, I, I try to write every day, and also too, we're working on the TV show uh -huh. aspect of this. Which it's just a very slow, very slow process, but it's, it's being worked on. Right. So. Well, tell me a little bit about what your TV show is about. Tell me about the latest book. I mean, let me give me some specifics. Well, the the shows, the TV show will be the books. It's going to be this. We're trying to make oh. a TV series uh -huh. based off the books. So um, that's always tough to sell, you know. Well, there's there's quite a bit of interest. Uh -huh. It's just me getting the, the various pieces that these Hollywood type people want to see. Which right, I write books. I don't produce TV shows, and so it's a bit of a learning curve. But I've got people that know what they're doing helping me. So, but it's just a matter of getting all that in. Like right now, we're building a three season story arc of what the 
TV show will look like for three seasons. Wow. And uh, so we're trying to get that put together at the moment. Well, that is awesome. And, and I'm working on book 10, the next book in the series. What's that going to be called? I don't know. Oh. I, um, I don't never know the I bet titles. it has the word home in it. I bet it will. <laughs> I don't never know the titles. They just come to me at some point uh, in the process. It'll just pop into my head. So. Well, that sounds good. What's the what's the latest one we, we can actually buy? The latest one would be book nine, and that was Conflicted Home. Conflicted Home. Yeah, and see, and just like that one came to me because I was trying to figure a title. The book was done, and I'm like, man, i got to come up with a title. I'm sitting there, and, and I'm like, I was thinking to myself, I'm conflicted because there's so much good, there's so much bad. As soon as I thought to myself, I'm like, oh, nah, that's the title. And that's well, just how they come to me. So. Well, every good book has a conflict. They, so, yeah, and, this one's got plenty. And you, I believe it. Yeah. Well, Angry, it is wonderful to see you. Thank you so much for coming. I, how can we get a hold of your books? Oh, you can get, well, the, the latest stuff is pretty much Amazon. That's where 99% of the sales happen because, you know, I left Penguin Books a couple years ago, and so I'm not on the bookshelf with the new ones. But you can find the the uh, Going Home, the first five books can all be found in all the bookstores. Mm-hmm. be found everywhere. Plus, all the books are available on audible.com and audible. Um, they're available, some, most of them on Barnes & Noble for Nook. Amazon, awesome. Kindle, print, yeah. everything. So, yeah, you can get them everywhere. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for spending a few minutes for us. Uh, we're at the RK Show in Atlanta, and uh, I know you're going to sell a lot of books here. I hope so. It's funny. You know, we both live in Florida, and yeah. we've never seen each other in the state of Florida. That is, I know. <laughs> well, Florida, you would think that it would be a right place for people with hurricanes and all you the would, other terrible you, things. You think so, but we, we run into yeah. each other all over the country, there never at all. <laughs> Well, God bless. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Joe. Good to see you, buddy. And we'll see you soon. (laughs) Thanks, bro. Hi, I always like to meet new people, and today we're meeting John Faulkner, a friend of a number of good friends of mine, like Angry American and Charlie Hogwood, and you have a business that is taking the preparedness industry by storm. Tell me a little bit about yeah, that. Yeah, so we run Survival Dispatch. Uh, Survival Dispatch is a, uh, first of all, it's an online you know website that people can go to, get information, uh, and then we run our Insider also. Uh, our Insider is a membership-based program, $9.95 a month, um, and it uh, offers a full magazine editorial PDF every single month on one survival topic. You know, it's it's not like a lot of magazines uh-huh. that throw a ton of different articles on, right. you know, randomness. Sort of a theme so, yeah, for yeah, 100% each issue. themed each issue every single uh-huh. month. Uh, you know, featuring things like you know bug out bags, uh, EMP proofing things, fire, water. You know, but everything has one issue solely dedicated to it. So it becomes more of a reference library. You know, once you have it, um, you know, we put it in a PDF form so you can download it to any tablet that you want. You can put it on a thumb drive, save it for later, uh, or print it out if you want to keep a hard copy as well. Well, that sounds pretty good. Now, tell me how you got into this uh, industry or how you got involved with the preparedness community. We've, uh, as far as our business goes, we've been in the gun industry for many years, owning gun shops and websites and things like that. Um, And we've always been interested in prepping as well. And so it was kind of a natural fit. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we really work on is what sets our company apart from a lot of other websites is the fact that we bring in subject matter experts uh, to write on specific topics. You know, it's not just one guy's opinion like most prepper websites and survival websites uh-huh, are right. on the Internet. So it, it's just a different pitch, you know, that, that has been received very, very well. Um, you know, and there's a bunch of other benefits with regards to the insider. You get things like a, a bug out bag blueprint. 
Um, there's survival calendars on there that kind of walk you through, you know, just things that people usually forget throughout the yeah. year, like rotating batteries in water and food storage, things like that. So there's a lot of checklists that, that really help people with their survival preps as well. Well, it sounds awesome. How can our listeners connect with your yeah, the easiest Enterprise. way is to go to uh, survivaldispatch.com. In the right-hand corner, you'll see a Join Now for the Insider button. Click on that. Uh, there's a 14-day free trial. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, everybody can check it out and see see what it's what it's all about, see what's in there. And, um, you know, we also have private Facebook groups uh, that is only for the insiders so that they can, you know, stay in touch in kind of a more intimate uh you know, location and uh, really start to to build upon their preps and throw and bounce ideas off one another. No, awesome. Well, anyone who's putting together something like that to get our people prepared, I I'm all for it. I strongly support uh, your enterprise. Make sure, guys, that you check out survivaldispatch.com. Yep. All right. Thank you, John. Appreciate Thanks it. for Have coming. A great one. Okay, appreciate it. Thanks so much. No problem. Hi, Joe Alton, MD here, also known as Dr. Bones of www.doomandbloom.net, where you'll find over a thousand videos, articles, and podcasts on medical preparedness for any disaster. I'm also the author of the 2017 Book Excellence Award winner in medicine, The Survival Medicine Handbook, The Essential Guide for When Medical Help is Not on the Way. Today's question for the expert counsel is from Steve in the South, who writes... Hey, I'm a 30-year-old male with hyperuricemia that just won't quit. My doctor has said it may not be diet-related because I drink close to 1.5 gallons of water a day. I'm on high-dose allopurinol and don't even let myself look at purines. Is there anything else I can do to keep this at bay? Pharmaceuticals don't cut it, and herbal remedies like uva ursi are crazy expensive, don't seem to have much of an effect either. Your thoughts would be appreciated. Steve, the suffix emia means contained in the blood. Hyperuricemia is a condition where there's an abnormally high level of uric acid contained in the blood. That level depends on the balance between the quantity of something called purines eaten in food, what the body makes itself through cell turnover, and the amount that makes it into the urine. The severity of hyperuricemia depends on a number of factors, genetics, diabetes, hypertension, obesity, thyroid and kidney problems, and certain medications play a part, as well as certain dietary choices involving a lot of red meat and alcohol. Some people simply produce too much uric acid or don't eliminate it well. If it's very high for long periods of time, it can be serious enough to lead to kidney failure. Gout is another condition that's caused by too much uric acid in the blood. In gout, inflammation of joints is caused by deposition of these uric acid crystals in the joint, leading to episodes of significant pain and swelling. And this illness is one that occurs primarily in men. A history of certain types of kidney stones may also be associated with periods of gout. If you have kidney stones, you may be at risk for gout, depending on the type of kidney stone you have. An attack of gout will appear as a warm, red, painful joint, maybe more than one. The pain is a throbbing kind of pain. It's often severe. Even laying a sheet over it, for example, might cause pain. Some people do get fever as well with it. The big toe is the most common place to get it, but knees and ankles may also be affected, and half of sufferers have multiple episodes over time. After multiple episodes, permanent damage occurs and the joint loses its range of motion. Chronic sufferers often develop lumps that are composed of these uric acid crystals called tophi, T-O-P-H-I, and tophi are lumps below the skin, mostly 
around that joint. They drain a chalky-looking material from time to time. Specialized prescription drugs are available for gout, such as the one you take, allopurinol, and another one called colchicine. These won't be found in your standard medic storage, so stockpile these if you're prepping. Besides medicines, which apparently haven't helped you much, lifestyle and dietary changes may be helpful. Avoid alcohol, reduce how many uric acid elevating foods you eat. In case you don't know, these include liver, red meat, herring, sardines, anchovies, kidney, beans, not kidney beans, but kidney, beans, peas, mushrooms, asparagus, and cauliflower. Avoid fatty foods, but add foods that have vitamin C and eat more carbohydrates unless you have diabetes or other conditions that don't allow it. Some other things you might try besides Uva Ursi, although the hard data isn't there quite yet at least, for their effectiveness include apple cider vinegar, lemon juice, wheatgrass juice, cherries, baking soda, olive oil, dairy products, celery seed extract, These are some natural items or dietary supplements that might be helpful. This is Joe Alton, MD, that old Dr. Bones, wishing you the best of health in good times or bad. Thanks for listening. Hey, besides getting a copy of our Survival Medicine Handbook, don't forget to check out our entire line of medical kits and supplies at store.doomandbloom.net. That's store.doomandbloom.net. You'll be glad you did. Oh, by the way, the Member Support Brigade gets a discount on anything in the store. Also, experience the joy that you get from making an old man very happy, that's me, by following us on Twitter at Prepper Show, YouTube at Dr. Bones Nurse Amy, Facebook on our Doom and Bloom page, and subscribing to our website feed at doomandbloom.net. Thanks again. Well, that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Survival Medicine Hour with Joe Alden, MD, and Amy Alden, ARMP. We'll be back next time. You've been listening to the Doom and Bloom Hour with medical preparedness experts Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Check out our website at www.doomandbloom.net for hundreds of informative articles about survival medicine, gardening, natural remedies, medical supplies, and lots of other good stuff. Contact us, send your email to drbonespodcast at aol.com or use the contact form on the main page of the website. See you next week.